After leaving teaching because of some serious burnout, she vowed to build the community she wished existed when she needed it most. She went from classroom teacher to an educational consultant, instructional designer, and six-figure business owner. Now, she's here to help you achieve happiness and work-life balance, whether inside or outside the classroom. Come join our discussion as we talk about managing teacher burnout, career transitions outside the classroom, starting a side hustle, and everything in between. Here's your host of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast and your new personal cheerleader, Daphne Gomez. Welcome to the Teacher Career Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Daphne Gomez, and today I interview Jeff Gargas. He's the COO and co-founder of the Teach Better team, where he works with educators to increase student engagement and improve student success. Jeff previously owned an online marketing firm where he worked with entrepreneurs and small businesses. And in this episode, we talk all about building your own business as an educational consultant. Hey, Jeff. Thanks so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. We connected in these business groups where business owners were just asking each other questions and learning from one another. And I'd love to really get into how you actually help other people in their businesses. But first, getting started, I'd share with the audience your experience in education and who you are. Yeah, so so I'm a Jeff Gargas. So I operated as a COO when I was a co-founder of a, a team called Teach Better. And kind of fun twist on that is that I'm actually a four-time college dropout. And we work with teachers and got there in a unique way. Actually have started a lot of different businesses and actually, oddly enough, went to a, a lot of different colleges. But that's a whole other story. But started a bunch of different businesses. And uh, one of them was actually in the music industry on my own record label and management company. And turns out that a guy that I managed in a band who was a drummer in a rock band later on became a teacher and developed something that we now call the grid method and then came to me about taking that and sharing it with others. And that was about almost nine years ago now. And so for the last nine years, I've worked as a CEO of our business, building it to, we work with school districts and teachers, helping them primarily around their instructional practices and their pedagogical needs, using a couple frameworks that we have that are proprietary, but also all your standard hot topic, hot you know button, hot whatever you want to call it, like standards-based grading and, and classroom management strategies and trauma-informed practice and things of that nature. We work with school districts to put together a plan to help support their teachers and the really, really important and difficult work that they do every day with their students. A lot of people get confused because this is such a like vague term, but basically it's educational consulting. Is that correct? That's what it is. Yes. We, we refer to it as like consultant, strategy, strat planning, su- support, but it all, it's all, yeah, we're consulting them in a way and supporting them. Yeah. So that's the easiest term to use. Yeah. And it's one of those, you know, vague terms that can apply to a, di- a lot of different types of activity. But with this, you're working directly with the school districts. Do you actually work with a lot of teachers who do the presentations or even former teachers who do the presentations for the school districts? So in our primary work, we we are the ones doing the presentation, doing the coaching, doing the, the work and everything with the teachers. Now, I have the pleasure, I get to work with a lot of educators that do similar work to us because I, I, I get to lead, I'm the one who gets to lead a mastermind, a couple of masterminds that we run for educators that are side hustling and doing stuff. And actually quite a few now that are full time in the world of consulting and speaking. So in that realm, I do get to do that. We have a community for educators that are also possibly doing that type of stuff. But our primary work, we're typically the ones going in, doing the presentations, doing the workshops, doing the follow-up and stuff like that. So we get to work, we work hand-in-hand with the teachers and go from there. But I personally, I get to do a lot of work with educators who are doing the same 
or similar types of work. Yeah, the reason I asked and that you did a great job of making it an easy segue for me was when I was working for a Fortune 500 company after I left the classroom, my role was a learning consultant or an educational consultant. And I was going into the schools and the districts and it was something that was paid for by the company. They weren't actually paying me. The school districts weren't paying me directly, but many of the teachers would find out that I was a former teacher. It was part of my presentation, or I would be sitting with them and helping them, just taking things off of their plate and doing work in the classroom to help simplify things using the technology program. Many of them would start asking, how the heck did you get this job? Or how do I do something similar? I've always been passionate about leading the professional development, or I've done them from time to time, I actually found out I really love teaching adults. And I was wondering if that has been your experience as well as people start to work with you and start to ask questions about how they can do what you're doing. Yes, absolutely. And actually, like our, our, I'm the only one on the team that wasn't a teacher, just because I have to be one of the guys that started it. And I was the business, quote unquote, the business guy. Everyone else has been a teacher. And actually, pretty much, I think everyone on our team came from not necessarily work that we weren't necessarily working with the district, but they might have found us via an online course or a live stream we were doing or Twitter chats when we was doing or whatever. They got into our community and said, Hey, like, I think what you're doing is cool. I think I want to be a part of that or I think I want to do that. And that's how we've got them. So, like, our, if I think about our lead trainers right now with Chad, who's my co founder, being our lead trainer, then one of our newest one, Katie, like, she utilized the grid method, one of our frameworks in her classroom and eventually was like, I think I might want to share this with more people. So yes, but everywhere we go, we get that. And, and as you know, over the last several years, it's even more so than than before. But it's always been the case where they're like, hey, like I, I want to do what you do. I want to travel around and speak to teachers. I want to help teachers. I love, you know, I have ideas and stuff. So yes, everywhere. And I think that's just, teachers have a natural knack for and and passion and drive to try to impact more and more and they see that opportunity. And also I think sometimes it looks fun even when maybe they don't think about all the other back inside of it and the travel and the stress of being away from your family. But yes, that has absolutely been our experience so far. I mean, I can speak for all teachers. I usually don't like to generalize, but right now I can. Not all professional developments are made equal. Some of them are harder to sit through, but the ones that are actually kind of fun or the ones that teach you something that you can immediately have this like aha moment of, oh, shoot, I see how that would work in my classroom. And I remember the ones for me, Kagan Strategies was a really big one. When I learned those, I was like, dang, I wish I learned that my first year of teaching. It would have <laughs> really helped me with things. And there were a couple different professional developments that really had that impact on me where I thought, oh, I could see myself doing something like that. When you have people who are approaching that conversation, though, like you said, there's a lot of back-end work. There's learning how to actually negotiate and talk to different districts. There's things that I never actually even did in my role as a learning consultant with the Fortune 500 company. It was Those were conversations that happened before you came in, yeah. Yeah. And then I was sent in to do the professional development. But with your role, you actually get to do it, all of it. 
you know all the different steps of the process. And I think that's where you're finding a lot of success with people who are going to you to learn how they can either make a couple of side dollars or start to do it full time with things that they're equally passionate about that they know that teachers would find really super valuable and is a gap in whatever people are learning in professional development. What are some of the biggest questions that you see people coming to you and asking when they're first getting started? I think probably most common, a few of them. One is around pricing always, like how do I price it? How do I how do I drum up and and get connected to the right person to make the decision in the district to get them to hire me? That kind of goes hand in hand with like a, how do I start an email list and grow and get people to actually pay attention to me and stuff like that. And so it kind of all goes into I think that all comes together with like it's the I have an idea I have a passion I think I have the talent but I never done the business quote unquote business stuff I don't know how to do that stuff. And so I think the biggest ones are how do I build a list, which leads into how do I get people to want to hire me? And then if someone, God forbid, wants to hire me, what do I charge them? I think those are the three biggest questions. One of the roles that I like to get in is is making sure they're asking all the other questions too. But I think those are probably the three biggest things that they typically ask. Okay, I hope you don't mind. I'm just going to on the spot because I I feel like we're chummy. I'm going to make this role play for a second (laughs) because I know what my questions are. So I have this really genius idea for professional development for schools that I think would be really impactful and really help teachers. And I'm passionate about sharing it with other people, but also I want to be compensated for my time. And I know that school districts are willing and able to financially compensate for this type of training. Do I make the training in its entirety before I start approaching the school districts? Or should I try and find product market fit and figure out if people are going to buy it with just this overview? What would be your advice there? Obviously, the other factors potentially considered, I would most of the time would say, well, no, you you need to figure out whether who you're actually trying to sell this to. Who's the, who's your, whether you want to call your avatar, your ideal customer, your, all the other names that we have for people, but who are you trying to, sell this to and what is the pain points that your genius idea is actually going to solve. So that's important because then you can figure out, okay, well, how do you go figure out if those people are actually interested in this or if you're just thinking it? And for me, that is building some sort of online presence community where you can feel that out and start to learn about that. Now, if you're trying to rush a little bit more, maybe you don't have the time to take the process of building that, then it might be a little more aggressive of like, okay, we'll find those people and you need to be reaching out and talking to people purely from a research standpoint to figure out, one, does this actually make sense? Two, what kind of pricing should I be doing? Because what you don't want to do is put all this time and energy and potentially money into a product and then have no one to sell it to. Because what you what a lot of times happens is if you spend the time doing the research and or building the audience and start again, you actually figure out that maybe what you initially thought isn't actually what they need, but it's pieces of that or a a different version of that. And maybe it is a much lighter version where you were about to spend hours and hours and hours, but actually your target audience isn't even there yet because your genius idea is actually a little too progressive and you got to like get them to the first step first before you get them to the next step, if that makes sense. There are some schools that I would go in and they would want me to teach how to teach coding. And there are some schools where they would say, you need to show them how to check their emails. 
Yeah. Like those are completely (laughs) different. That's a great, yes, yes. Those are completely different lessons. And if I went in with one or the other to the wrong audience, they would say, unfortunately. You almost get laughed out. Like it's, yeah, that makes no sense. And we had that, like, you know, our, our sort of thing that started everything was this framework that we use called the grid method, which is a framework for mastery learning. And all the data in the world supports that mastery learning is actually better than the traditional way of teaching. Like there's little, there's no argument when you look at the data, the research, it backs it up. However, it's a big shift. It's a big mental shift for teachers. It's a big like logistical shift. Like all it's, it's not an easy shift. And what we found early on is like, wow, some people were super excited and they jumped over and they wanted the whole everything right off the bat. A lot of people just weren't ready for it. Either they weren't ready for it because they just learned what it is and they're just kind of learning that, oh, this does make sense. How the heck do I start? We're not ready for it because it's just too big of a lift. And so we had to start, we actually created a lot of what we do really well right now based on going, okay, our initial idea is actually not the actual product. It's actually these 38 products that actually lead up to that thing or all together create that thing. But usually it's a stepping stone. And so the risk you have if you just try to put it all together and build it all at once or whatever, like is that you might miss the opportunity for much better suited products and better product market fix as you, you were talking about with smaller products that are a lot easier to create and take a lot less time. I had probably a catalog of 40 different topics of some sort so that they could pick from whatever it was that was the most important for them as a school or as a district to implement. And then that's what we really moved off of. And then after that, I had templates that I was able to build out uniquely for once they said they were they were ready to move forward with one. And it also sounds like you are very aware of, and I think many educational consultants are also aware of how the work that they are doing with schools and districts impact teachers' day-to-day operations, because especially in the last four years, there have been changes after changes after changes, and school saying, you now have to do everything digital, and then school saying, we don't like computers anymore, make it all paper, you have two weeks. Just so many really large shifts that lead to the burnout, that lead to that overwhelm. When you're approaching these conversations with the schools that you're working with, how do you start to see which ones might be too much of a huge change that you even, do you even approach that in the conversations of, hey, there might be more initial pushback about this if you move forward because these are the changes that the teachers may have to make and, and it might impact their happiness too? Yeah, we do. And we all, we'll actually sometimes, and it's a sounds like a terrible business model, but we'll pull back from what someone might want and it's a person that you know has the ability to make the purchase might want the the full picture really see something we'll pull back for that reason either there's a lot you're going to run into some pushback because we're not there yet and that's going to that's going to ruin it it's just going to become another thing that you tried didn't work or because we know it's like like look you mentioned these gaps we've got to give them this support and how does this or it doesn't tie in properly to what they're already doing and stuff so like it's really important for us to one and not be a one and done it to be a long-term plan it's more it's less about the framework we use or the product or whatever we're trying to sell or work with them, more about what are they actually trying to accomplish? And is that actually what the teachers are trying to accomplish too, which is, I think a very important part that isn't always looked at or listened to, which is bringing teachers into conversation. Like, what are we actually trying to achieve? 
And then, okay, great. Now, where do we fit into that potential solution? How do we fit into there? And how does someone else fit in? And honestly, often, more often than not, it's not the full thing. It's how do we pull back? And it's not like, we're not going, let's just, we got to put together the, the foundational blocks. One, to help them because they do have so much on their plate. We don't need to put more on. We need to tie it so that it actually makes everything better and hopefully easier in the end. But also so that we actually have success and implementation. And I think if you have that long-term vision, you have less of the year-to-year or semester-to-semester or heck, week-to-week changes where, hey, this was important last week. It's not this week. For us, well, if we're focused on the long-term goals, then it's always important and we're always able to implement it, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it's such an important conversation and I know it's so easy to look at admin or school districts in general and just point fingers and say they are not paying attention to how these are these decisions are impacting teachers but i know that is not universally true i have had these conversations with the tech tosas with the school districts that have said hey this is our biggest concern we want to help get xyz taught to our teachers but We also don't want to overwhelm them. We also want to make sure it ties in with what they're teaching in the classroom. Not every school district is going to do that. Not every educational consultant actually comes with that in their sales strategy. So do you think coming at it from the lens of, I'm in the classroom, I understand what teachers are doing, and this is how this is going to be something that I believe is going to be well-received by teachers Do you think that that is a selling point of when you talk to school districts and admin about them bringing you in? Do you think that they do become more receptive to, hey, I'd like to help you even from a consulting basis, make these changes in a way that's going to be more sustainable because I have been in that position myself? Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, honestly, as we've grown and like as when Chad left the classroom, as the business grew grew, and as we has, he's been further and many more and more years away from when he was in the classroom, that's been one of our biggest fears is like, like that was a big point because Chad was literally going like, hey, this helped me in my classroom. Let me see if I can help you have it help you in yours. And and why? And that's actually why us, you know, most of our team are, uh, are full-time teachers that work part-time with us because we want that connection because we want to make sure that we're not pushing stuff that we just think, but things that we actually know are being used in classrooms. It's why we... Most of what we do, we're in classrooms all the time with teachers, which is different than being the teacher, but being in there having conversations with the teachers and getting their honest and and true feedback when they're in the mix so that we can continue to say like, well, this is how it's working. While Chad might not be able to say, this is how it works in my classroom right now because he's not in a classroom right now. We have teachers on a team that can say that. We have trainers that can say that. And we're constantly in classrooms so that we can continue to make sure that what we're doing is actually working. And it's not just like a good idea, but it's actually currently in place and working and it's feasible for the teachers. It's, you know, it's not killing them and it's actually producing results. I'm moving on to probably one of the more uncomfortable conversations, even though it's like, it shouldn't be, but I I do feel like this is where people get really squirmish when it comes to pricing. Because I'm going to go off of numbers that, I remember, and this is 2017 California numbers, which could be different than other types of numbers, but I would say a full day's professional development, like an eight-hour Saturday session, from what I remember with other people, once again, I was not the one who was charging, 
you could get paid, I think, about $3,500 per trainer or just for the day session, but I could be making up that number in my head. Is that even close to... You could definitely do that, but you could do, you could do a lot more than that. How do you know? One thing depends on is whether the, the district has any money, but whether or not you, uh, for lack of a term, like, you know, using business, like whether you command that money or not, but whether you bring an actual value to them and for lack of a better word, like whether you're selling them, <laughs> but I mean, that I don't mean that in a tricking them into, but you're able to help them see that you are worth that. You can absolutely make that, but you can make more than that too. You can go more than double that. But again, I think the key, you said it somewhere, like I can't remember where you said something about strategies or tools that you can put in place right away. And I think that's a big piece is like, it's got to be something that's actually going to make an impact for the teachers and the, in the classrooms. And, the, and then the admin, the people that are making the purchase decision have to see that. And they have to understand that this is actually going to impact us. This is actually going to put us on the right path. And I think, you know, with us, we look at, it's a much bigger picture. So it's not like, hey, we're gonna come for two days and like, that's the thing that's gonna do it. It's, hey, we're coming for a day or two or whatever, but we're also like, we're working with you over the next couple of years to make sure that this actually sustains and isn't just another thing that you tried, that it's actually something that has sustainable and long-term positive impacts on on your teachers and therefore your students and therefore obviously from from their lens into your bottom line, all that type of stuff because your students are doing better. And so for us, it's about make sure that they see that vision and that's where we're trying to go. So yes, you can go higher than that as well. And when you say that the schools, whether or not they have the funding, this is something that I feel like obviously makes teachers really upset. <laughs> How can we not get paid more if the schools have funding? That's usually a completely separate funding amount. And once again, we do have an episode with Sharon McMahon. You should go back and listen to it about how to write your legislators about how to fight for changes because that is the overall bigger picture here. It's a really good episode. But when it comes to looking at these schools that might have unused PD funds that are looking for how to spend it, is there a certain time of the year that they're usually looking to find new professional development? That's such a common question. Like when we were talking about the, the common questions, that's like one of the next ones. And I kind of usually answer the same way, which is like, well, yes, but no. So it depends on who you're talking about. Because if you think about it, if you break it down into like when schools spend, spend money and why, like it's really easy to get caught up and be like, oh, well, it's like this machine. I'm like, but really it comes down to usually a person or a couple people, right? So most school districts are January or July 1 to June 30th fiscal year. So that's like when they're spending the money. You have some people who, whoever it is that has the the decision, whether that's the superintendent, assistant, the principals, whatever, because every district is different on who has the ability to do, to spend whatever. Some people like to just get it all allocated and done like right away. Cause then they're like, I'm done. Everything's spent for the year and I'm done. I don't have to worry about it. Other people hold on to it and they're like, well, I don't want to spend any money until the end of the year because what if I need it? And then they get to the end of the year and they're like, crap, I didn't spend it in my money. I have to spend it all now, right? So those two different people, it's like, well, so it's that August, that July, August, maybe even September. And the other one's like, well, it's that like April, May, June-ish like that I need to really be talking to those conversations. But then in the middle, you've got people who are like, well, I don't really want to spend much money because I don't know exactly what my staff needs yet. So I'm going to wait till maybe closer to winter break when we've had a little bit of feel for like, what's this set of students look like? What's that that new new mandate we have to follow? Like, what do I need to actually put money into? And they're spending money in December and January. 
So all that is to say that no, there's no real rhyme and reason. Now, if you talk to 10 different educational consultants, they'll probably get at least 50% of them that are like, oh, you should, it, it's, it's always in June when they're planning for the next year, but it's not always in June. Like that's been our experience. I will say that most of the time, July is pretty quiet. Like you're not going to close a ton because most admins are on vacation that are like disconnecting. But as far as when they spend it, again, it really depends on on who the person is and how they how they like to approach it. And that can change literally year to year and definitely district to district because sometimes it's one person that has that full say and sometimes it's a group and it all depends on how they run it. So I know that's not a clear answer, but that's the answer. Yeah, sometimes there's not a one size fits all answer for everything. Absolutely isn't. So so with all that, like you should be always always marketing, always selling, always having the conversations because you never know. Like we close a lot of random deals like in the middle of the year, like in a February. Like that make no sense, but they're like that maybe we're planning for some late year PD or thinking of next year or whatever. So. For someone who's trying to start this type of work, though, it can't just be a cold email that says, hey, this is who I am. You know, I'd like you to spend, please send me (laughs) $7,000. Here's my idea. Do they need to create an online presence, create a website, do all of that upfront work before they even approach that conversation for credibility? I don't think they need to. But I, I would recommend it. But like it could be when you first started saying, I'm like, well, it could just be the cold email, but not not with the just send me $7,000. But it could be the, you could like, you can absolutely go cold with an outreach of just trying to get in a conversation with them, right? I definitely wouldn't tell them how much it is, but you could approach them cold with, you know, because school administrator, like all their emails are public information. So you can get a hold of them. You can email them. Is that going to work? Probably not. Like it's going to be a numbers game. Like you're going to email thousands and thousands and thousands to maybe get one that has a conversation and stuff. If I was going to go that route, I would go probably, you could also do that on LinkedIn and stuff. We've had, we've had success with that kind of outreach, but I wouldn't recommend that. What I would recommend is building the online presence, building the, your authority as, as a thought leader and a, an expert in the, in the, uh, in the industry, building, building content and resources that allow potential leads and potential customers to not only get to know you, but also get to know the ideas that you believe in, the passions you have, so that if they're not familiar, they they essentially get educated around them. And then if they're the right fit, get educated around them and then decide that they want them. Obviously, that's a much longer process. I mean, that's not like a start today and you're making a bunch of, a mu- bunch of money in a month. That's going to take some process getting there, but that is definitely how I would recommend doing it. Yeah. And that's something that I've said on other past episodes. So if you haven't listened to any side hustle episode before, side hustles are not replacing your income by next month. This is very much like a long game. I highly recommend if you are the most burnt out, you are the type of person that looks for a full-time employment. And then once you maybe start to feel better, get your mental health back, then you can begin to really pursue a side hustle as a potential full-time path. There's this really great quote, and I feel like I'm going to botch it. Derek Sivers, I think is Derek Sivers, yeah. Okay, good. It's something like change careers like Tarzan. Like don't leave one vine until, until you have the other one in your hand. And that I feel like there's so many 
snake oil salesmen, business coaches for business coaches, and all those people who are saying, hey, I can guarantee you income by the next two months. So I always feel like I have to scream this from them. Just create a lead magnet and start a MailChimp account and you'll be rich. Like, yeah. Like- yeah. And I just have to put that disclaimer. And I'm happy that you put that out there too. I know that you've worked with a lot of teachers who are building side hustles or are even full-time in your community, Educator Club Plus. I know the bulk of what we have talked about is consulting because that's something that you've got a lot of experience with, but you also have experience with other type of side hustles and coaching teachers and other types of income streams. Do you mind sharing just a high-level overview of some of the other types of income streams you've seen teachers do in that community? Yeah. So obviously, there's consultant or different variations of it. There are things that you've seen a lot of other industries, right? Creating online courses, um, online academies, which, you know, when you're creating, basically, you're, you're creating videos and such and putting them in order in the course and they're going through it. You know, if you if you go the route of like a teachers pay teachers or something of that nature, where you're creating materials, curriculum materials, study guides, um, you've seen journals. I mean, you name it, that type of stuff that you can then sell, whether that's on something like teachers pay teachers or like via Etsy or just straight up on your or Shopify or on your site. We have a few that that are, it's just the speaking side of things. So, which is can be connected and can be a piece of all the other ones and can help drive that, but it's just straight up through speaking, getting paid to go speak and inspire. We have someone in our in one of our higher level masterminds that is just killing it on TikTok. And she now has a bunch of actually really low ticket products on TikTok that are selling like crazy. And she was like, we were actually talking today and she's like, it's crazy because they're like, you know, five bucks and seven bucks. And now it's a bunch of money. Like, <laughs> And it's a really soft sell because she's just sharing a bunch of ideas out. And now she's launching more things. Um, there could be memberships, communities. Obviously, you know the power of community and stuff. And we have that too. Like that's something that I'm a big, a big fan, a big component of. I'm trying to think of what else. Tutoring. You can go into tutoring. We've seen some tutoring, side hustling, some coaching, some support um, for specific, maybe like we have a guy who supports primarily assistant principals. So it's very sort of niche down into them. Another that is very specific to uh, middle school math teachers, right? And it's, it's sort of consulting, but it's more on the, the individual level. And it's not just about the necessarily the work in a classroom, but also the life that comes with being a teacher. So a lot of different varieties of, of stuff that you could start. And also, there's also a bunch you could do that have nothing to do with education too, by the way. Like that's perfectly okay too. And like, you know what I mean? So like you could have a quilting thing where you're selling, or you're, you're selling, I got a guy who does woodworking, does beautiful signs and woodworking. They found a passion and now he's selling. So like, there's there's a lot of ways you can go at it. So in your program, Educreator Club Plus, what types of things are you helping these entrepreneurs, these educator entrepreneurs actually go through? Like the business side of things, setting up like a business entity, all the scary stuff, what a sales email should look like. Like what are some of the types of things you do to support them? So yes, a little bit of all that. Obviously, I'm not going to be doing any kind of legal advice, but I might share experiences and, and guide them in the right directions. A lot of stuff around, we kind of, there's like three levels of the community. So the Ed- Educator Club community at its base level is a community. It's built on Circle platform. It's a space for you to come and th- ask questions, find support, find advice, and hopefully get some resources and the help you need and connect it with some people that are going through similar things or have gone through. And then you have, we have a, a two levels of masterminds too. The masterminds that are, you know, you get meetings in person, you get a little more individualized coaching and stuff those those we might actually get into like 
let's like work through creating your actual, you know, your LLC and building up or whatever. But in general, a lot of the common things are, like you said, like, like, how do I, how do I start with email marketing? That's where we go. How do I, what is content marketing? How do I start? How do I create a website and get people somewhere to go? How do I shut up, set up a, a Shopify site? Or how do I even set it up so that I can sell that, this awesome piece of, curriculum support or whatever that I have. Like, I don't even know, like I have it. I have the idea. I've got this Google doc. Like, how do I, what do I do now? Right. Or I have this awesome idea of for this course, but I don't even know like where I go. So it's conversations around that. A lot of times those conversations can lead into the actual, like, let's, let's actually connect and work through it together and actually go through the setup. We do a lot of like, you know, I might do a lot of like website reviews or, or product like reviews as just like doing loom videos and critiquing and going, you know, that type of stuff. And then a lot of support of just like, hey, I'm struggling. Like, I need to be reminded of why I'm doing this or I'm stuck here and coming together. So, and I think as people who have been in the community longer, the questions understandably get deeper and then we get into more things. Um, you know, there's some that we're in, we're talking about cash flow and cash plan and projections and, and protecting yourself legally and all that type of stuff. So it's, it's a variety of things. Again, so how do I start a podcast? There's a lot of different ways you can go. So, yeah, I think. Especially as an educator, we're so used to doing things and figuring it out entirely on our own. Like that was something that I very much struggled with was like working in a silo. And so it's why I created like the teacher career coach course community as I knew people needed to have that sense of community. But as a business owner, I've seen so much value in finding similar communities and similar people struggling and brainstorming together. You just make so much more growth when you do actually invest in in finding the people who are working on the same types of goals and learning from them and researching and doing that back and forth. For people who are looking to join the Edu Creator Club Plus community, how can they reach out to you or find you? If you go over to teachbetter.com slash educreators or there's a lot of ways you can get there, but educreator or educreators, it'll take you to like the lead page for the the landing page with all the info of the of the community and you can join right there. If you're interested in in the edu the masterminds or whatever that, you'll connect with me and it'll link you to me to do that. If anybody wants to reach out to me, I'm just Jeff J E F F at teachbetter.com. I take all emails and happy to have a conversation around it but uh that's the easiest way to get in and it's got the info there and you you'll jump right in you'll you'll set up the maybe right now we still currently have our founders pricing going so it's lower than it'll ever be uh so that's available right now but yeah and it's pretty simple i think it's simple at least i guess tell me if it's not and we'll fix it (laughs) (laughs) yeah email email jeff with your feedback on whether or not yes if it was difficult to figure out tell me so we can make it easier (laughs) Well, Jeff, this has been a pleasure. It's always nice to connect with you. And I just really appreciate you having this conversation and and giving a lot of insight into this. Well, thank you. I I, I love Avenue. I love what you do. I think it's really important for, for teachers to know that they're not alone in this type of journey and that it's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. Like, and lean into this community. So appreciate it. I want to give a huge thank you to Jeff for coming on and sharing all that great information. And if you are still just toying with the idea of starting a side hustle, I recommend you go back to episode 10, where I talked about five reasons why to start. Thank you so much for being a listener of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast, and we'll see you on the very next episode.